Hello, uh, hope you're well and not dead. Uh, I'm Rachel Ochner and this is July's tarot offering um, on the schema negativity and pessimism. Uh, so yeah, June was kind of crazy. So it's a fragmented meditation on the Three of Pentacles. Um, and I wrote in the notes plus accepting death. So whatever that means, let's go. Uh, so yeah, the quote that I put at the beginning of this one is from a book that I just read, uh, or more like, uh, more appropriately said, I just inhaled it in like two, two and a half days. Um, it, yeah, so the quote is from My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Moshveg, and I realise I'm very late to the party for reading that one, but ugh, it's just such a good book. Um, yeah, it like, um, it just documents like all of the weird shit when you're feeling super fucked up, basically, and she writes it with such poise, and even though like, it can be super disgusting and selfish and uh, like she manages to do it with some kind of beauty. Anyway, the quote is, pain is not the only touchstone to growth. So yeah, let's go. There's been a lot of adjusting and accepting over the month just past. So the sincerest thing I could offer is a bundle of fragments from the soft wrinkles of time I've managed to catch a wave to write on. Thank you for being here and for reading work that can sometimes feel raw and emotionally disjointed. Fragment one, negativity, parents, miracle. I've been doing a lot of thinking and waiting recently. For a few weeks in June, I avoided writing and other habits that sustain and balance me. I've been waiting for answers, for death, for a miracle. Before I left home for Barcelona, the garden was in full bloom. Roses unfurling, bright ruby red, Wildflowers I don't know the names of taking over the small patch of garden that I have. Yellow, white, lilac and pink. The fig tree expanding, growing taller than a giant in a fairy tale. Butterflies, bees, crows, blackbirds, pigeons, foxes and deep knots. Right now it all feels very three of pentacles. A process of learning and listening. Learning to be more patient, grateful, kinder, softer, harder, more present, more skilled. More, 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 but less cynic less critical and cynical, actually. <laughs> All the same. Everything comes down to choices. Even not making them chooses for us. I kind of hate this saying, but fuck it, it's got some weight to it. My father, who I have been estranged from 
the last couple of years is ill and in the hospital. So uh, I guess I've been thinking about how he was never religious or spiritual or even openly hopeful for much. But I know that he was always waiting for a miracle. And I think he still is. Much of his life felt like a bunch of choices that he never seemed to make. Choices between love, money, trust and faith. I know that he never felt he had much of any of those things. We grew up together with his regrets, shame and unprocessed longing. Then I think about how Three of Pentacles offers up another passage from the way we know and the way we fear. And how every perspective we have on life is not all there is. Working with other people who don't think like us usually teaches us this. Being hurt by others and understanding it from their side teaches us this too. As I write, I try to remember, though little in his patch of land ever gave him joy, that reading and writing was a lifeline, a sort of primrose-covered gateway out of perennial negative narratives. I think about him being born into the interwar period in Britain, post-war, pre-war, and then during World War II entangled in a gossamer of paranoia, rationing and listening to the wind-up radio for reasons to hope again. I think about how reading, writing and the tarot are my lifelines now, and I've never been able to completely lock down why I have a daily practice with the cards. I was taught to be sceptical of anything that science couldn't pin down and to understand that hope was a risk not worth taking. Perhaps my work is a testament to an evolving relationship to hope then. It's also proven that there is a healing process of transference of pain from reading and writing. Testimonial writing can be used to release and as a way of working through painful experiences as an escape route from past trauma. I don't like the word escape route, but, you know, uh, a vortex. <laughs> Fragment two. Love worth jumping out of a window for. In a recent article from Mason Curry about the poet Robert Graves' home and life in Mallorca, Curry was relieved to find upon visiting that the space was welcoming and light. Writers have been known to have very bleak, uninviting spaces a lot of the time. The process can, yeah, it totally can be one of loneliness and deep, heavy contemplation. But then there are writers like Virginia Woolf and Graves, who weren't the cheeriest of people, but they thrived in spaces filled with abundant gardens. Things to tend to, things to eat, long brown green leaf clad branches to watch the wind blow whilst chasing the next few sentences. So when I think about the lives of both these writers, a lot of painful complex relationships flood my mind. And when I think about love's deep ravines, 
I envisage life's perplexities growing from the bonds we gamble, lose, beg, and borrow for. Take Graves' relationship plus marriage for instance. Kauri succinctly sums it up below. It's like literally just a roller coaster ride, and like I don't know how else I could describe it, and he does it perfectly, so <laughs> yeah. Graves and Riding's backstory is um, interesting, so Riding is uh, his wife. When they met, Graves was all, um, uh, not his wife, the woman he ended up with. When they met, Graves was already married and had four children with his first wife, Nancy Nicholson. But their marriage was strained due in part to Graves' severe post-war PTSD. And Nicholson was open to Graves seeing another woman. Together, the three of them attempted a triadic relationship that they dubbed the Trinity. But the Trinity morphed into the Holy Circle, with the addition of the Irish poet Geoffrey Phipps. Then things really got messy. Of course they fucking did, because it's all poets and... Fuck that. Uh, Someone that writes poetry. (sighs) My god. Anyway, Riding fell in love with Phibs, but Phibs preferred Nicholson. And when he threatened to leave the circle altogether, a despairing Riding jumped out of a fourth floor window. As you do. Um, uh, Miraculously, she survived. And Graves nursed her back to health while writing his autobiography, Goodbye to All That. Uh, It actually became his bestseller and it afforded him the ability and finances to be able to write um, the proceeds, yeah, yeah. Um, And the proceeds from the book allowed him and writing to start afresh in Mallorca. So if you ever feel like jumping out of a window, I get you on an emotional and spiritual level. I really, really do. But there are also other ways to grieve, bend, and lose your fucking mind. There are other patches to land on, to fuck on, to love on, to grow food from. Three of Pentacles is a portal. Not just to your logical, hard-earned, emotional truths, but the truths of others, and a truth beyond the only way you've ever been shown. It's a meditation on life, lived, learned, and earned together. It's a physical and psychological place to dig your hands into the earth and rearrange your plot of soil of what your plot of soil no longer renders viable. It's a symbolic reminder that making painful changes does not have to be a solitary endeavor. We can ask for help. We can alter our behaviors, thus changing the landscape through what we decide to devote our energy to basically decide what's precious enough for us to put uh, the most unrenewable sources our time and love really Um, well actually is love can you keep renewing that? I don't know I don't know maybe I'm putting that out to you guys anyway (laughs) fragment 3 melting a frozen heart in Hans Andersen's fairy tale, The Snow Queen, a hobgoblin makes a mirror that distorts everything beautiful. Serene landscapes turn into overboiled spinach and people become arseholes. I'm, of course, paraphrasing heavily with that last one. I'll quickly sum this one up. Uh, the hobgoblin breaks that mirror one day and a chaotic negative cloud engulfs the whole village. Shards of glass fly everywhere into people's eyes and hearts, 
freezing them and making them unable to experience joy, beauty and hope. Best friends and neighbours from the village, Kai and Gerda, used to love hanging out and looking at books together, but when a shard of glass from the hobgoblin's mirror lodges itself in Kai's eye and into his heart, he's transformed into a cruel, sad boy who makes fun of the people around him. The Snow Queen kidnaps Kai and brings him back to her world of ice and snow. But faithful Gerda is determined to find him and restore her friend to the boy she knows and loves. She goes through a lot of shit and meets a lot of interesting characters who help her along the way. These include a bandit, a prince, a princess and a semi-woman. So, everything going on. In the end, her hot wet tears and obvious love melt Kai's frozen heart. He returns to his friend, leaving the ice castle, and though forever changed by his experience, he regains the ability to appreciate beautiful things. The sun. If you can relate to the Snow Queen and Kai, I get you too. Why not opt out of feeling anything too much? Rebuilding is harder than destruction. It can be tempting to look, to look, to lock yourself away in a castle from everyone else and just wait until you understand the meaning of eternity or develop the courage to believe in something other than disappointment. I feel a lot of my work with the tarot is not to answer questions, but to ask the right ones in reading and in what I write. So instead of asking, what do you believe in? What do you wish to believe in? The fourth and final fragment uh, is slightly a bit of poetry. So let's get started. Negativity can be held in your body. Memories and emotions. Jeff Young, the founder of the schema therapy model, has said that this schema can be presented in four different ways. One, chronic worry. Two, hypervigilance to problems. Three, complaining in a detached protector way rather than a solutions focused way. And four, chronic indecision. Negativity can build walls like Kai in the Ice Queen or the Snow Queen that separate you from others. And if you take the complaining route, it can be very draining. It can make people run away from you. Gerda didn't run away from Kai. She believed that if he could feel how much she loved him whilst simultaneously being a model for hope that he would become unstuck from his frozen perspective. Speaking of things being stuck, there's this poem I haven't been able to get out of my head in a book that caresses the nostalgic pitted caverns in the aftermath of the blood red garnet spatters of grief. It was given to me by a dear friend who has drifted between the intestinal enzymes and acids of gastric juices churning in the liminal space where the body processes the death of a lover. It's called grammar school, ambiguous loss in brackets. This is perfect because words can only explain a part of the loss. When we lose something, whether that be a person, a childhood or opportunities, it's often difficult to describe to others that there's a piece of the puzzle that utterly fails to fit back inside. That cannot be made up with a conversation, a spell or a Google search. Fragments that when described to others reflexively have them offering phrases about moving on, heeding lessons learned and so on. 
In a previous offering, I mentioned that sometimes you can't move on, but you can move forwards. I think this was the Mandy one that I did uh, in the tarot and film. This is the part of the poem that is one of my favourites. How many new phenoms would a tongue need to explain the ambiguous loss? To sing las caras lindas de mi gente negra. What are the words for forgiveness? I think all of us are knee deep in the icy waters of some sort of loss. Perhaps even the cool, stinging sensation of grief can be a gateway to other worlds, beyond what we made up happiness could look like. The shards of poems that have struck me make me feel closer to the sides of grief where the splendour of a thing I felt lost can even for a thin minute be retrieved. Restoring a barren landscape into some kind of twisted radiance. I think that's why many writers like to write. To constantly recapture beauty and loss over and over. Martin Shaw has said of art that it is a dignified display of heartbreak, which is the debt of living. In that fracturing of relived grief is the joy of love reanimated, memory put back together like shattered pottery. All love lost is grieved forever, and I heard someone wiser than me say, just because the symphony ends doesn't mean that the music wasn't worth listening to. I hear a lot in my work about the need to know or have control of what happens. For us it seems so often rooted in fears of abandonment, vulnerability and failure. Clinical psychologist Rita Union advocates fostering and practicing a relationship with hope. Hope, despite protective railings wanting so badly to fence in and source more reasons to remain pessimistic towards life. Yunan plays games like Jenga or cards with some of her clients to reactivate or awaken spontaneity. So often a bit of play can make the world look less like overboiled spinach. It doesn't have to be Jenga. I never even played that in my life. <laughs> I think that's why I practice the tarot. Uh, if my practice with tarot has given me anything, it's flexibility and there's that word again, hope out of the cycles of doom I can be all too familiar with on occasion. If rock climbing, cooking, yoga or whatever else works for you, like stops you from thinking life is a continuous shitstorm of disappointment and so on, that is rad. More power to you. Psychologist Shimi Kang writes about how play activates the brain's prefrontal cortex, helping us learn to ride in and with unpredictable places, and that without it, new ideas and concepts are difficult for us to develop. In other words, we become tyrannical perfectionists, unable to make mistakes because the mere thought of doing so makes us really uncomfortable. I'd like to end with a few bits of poetry Ocean Vuong has written. What we'll always have is something we lost. Plus, I thought the fall would kill me, but it only made me real. Plus, so you write the poem, but the birds are just holes in the gunshot. Maybe that's the best and worst of what we can hope for, for things to matter and hurt so much all at once. 
To be alive is a continuous flirtation with death. Every kiss full of peril, meaning, beauty, and hope. What a fucking trip. If you are still here, cool, thank you. Uh, And next month, I will be doing an offering on emotional inhibition. And uh, yeah, I'm going to talk a lot about fairy tales. And yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring up Twilight and I might even bring up Harry Potter. So there you go. I'm going to link it all. Um, So yeah, man, take care. Bye. (laughs)